whether in Brentwood, Franklin, or online, we are delighted you've joined us to worship. The night scene of the quiet street was a collage of stark blue moonlight and bottomless shadows. But one shadow did not stir with the wind as the trees did. And neither did it stand still as the building shadows did. It crawled, quivered, moved along the street toward the church. This shadow had a shape, a creature-like shape. And as it neared the church, sounds could be heard. The scratching of claws along the ground. The faint rustling of breeze-blown membrous wings wafting just above the creature's shoulders. It had arms and legs. Its bulbous eyes reflected the light of the full moon. The gnarled head protruded from hunched shoulders and wisps of rancid red breath seethed in labored hisses through rows of jagged fangs. It moved toward the front door of the church. The black hand passed through the door like a spear through liquid. The body hobbled forward and penetrated the door, but only halfway. Suddenly, as if colliding with a speeding wall, the creature was knocked backward and into a raging tumble back onto the steps. Gathered itself off the sidewalk, stared at the strange door that would not let it pass. Then the membranes on its back began to billow, enfolding great bodies of air, and it flew through the door and into a cloud of white, hot light. The creature screamed and covered its eyes, then felt itself being grabbed by a huge, powerful vice of a hand. In an instant, it was hurling through space like a rag doll outside again. Its wings began to hum in a blur as it banked sharply, flying turn, a flying turn and headed for the door again. Its talons bared and poised to attack. It streaked through the door and instantly felt its insides tearing loose. There was an explosion of suffocating vapor, one final scream, and the flailing of withering arms and legs. Then there was nothing at all except the ebbing stench of sulfur and the two strangers who stood. The big blonde man replaced a shining sword as the white light that surrounded him faded away. A spirit of harassment, he asked, or doubt, or fear, who knows, the other responded. Well, how many are there, would you say? More, much more, more than we, never idle. So I've seen the big man's side. And so began... Frank Peretti's 1986 novel, This Present Darkness. 
as he created a fictional town and demons and the devil and as they attacked this town and he created the angels and angelic beings that destroyed them. The book went on to sell 2.5 million copies. It spurned a great interest in spiritual warfare. I remember reading it. How many of you read that? number of you? Yeah, I remember reading it in, you know, late 80s. I thought it was great. Now, he used his imagination. He, he got some things wrong. He went beyond what the Bible tells us. But it was, fi- it was fiction. It was not a theology of angels and demons. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, does not use his imagination, does not go beyond what Scripture teaches, and he gets nothing wrong as he describes to you and to me this spiritual, not flesh and blood, warfare with rulers and principalities and Spiritual forces of wickedness. Men and women, we are foolish if we think that these powers and world forces of darkness are not at work today amongst us and around us. If you have your Bibles, open them to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. In Ephesians 6, 10 to 17, Paul gives his most explicit, clear explanation of this spiritual warfare that rages. Now, as we looked at this a few weeks back, we thought, we usually teach paragraph by paragraph. We stepped back and said, we're going to spend three weeks in this, not one message. Because it really matters This is not fiction. It's real. Last week, uh, Bill introduced us to our enemy, the devil and his minions. They're real spiritual beings. They are powerful beyond what we could grasp. And they are wicked to a darkness that we can't even comprehend. Their schemes are always rooted in deception, in lies. And all they do, they do to diminish the glory of God. Now here's where it gets very, very personal. Because God's greatest glory is redeemed humanity, sinners deserving of death, that in grace he redeems and saves, that's who they go after, you see. So if you have placed your faith in Christ, understand, you've got a massive target right on your chest. And they're after you and after me to diminish God's great glory. There's so much at stake when it comes to having a clear, biblical understanding of this warfare, and we don't get it from, again, I'm not throwing the book under the bus, but we don't get it from fiction, and we don't get it from movies, we don't get it from media. You get it from the Word of God. 
I'd say it like this, to the degree that we're unaware or misinformed about this battle and these things, to that degree, okay, would be like us being on assignment as a special forces unit, and we've got a mission in Taliban-infested territory, and we're sent in, and we go in with paintball guns. Because, you know, paintball guns, quite frankly, look real. So you can look the part, but I assure you, uh, we will not achieve the mission, much less survive. It matters that much. We're going to go back through the verses Bill took us through last week. We're going to work back through them, but I'm going to pick up verse 13 today. Bill addressed in that message the nature of the enemy. What I want to do, and Michael will finish next week, is we're going to pick up our response, responsibility in the battle itself. Let's do this. Would, would you stand with me one more time, please? As we read God's word to us today, Paul writes, and God says to us, verse 10, chapter 6, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Father, please add your blessing to this reading of your word. We are utterly dependent upon your spirit to teach us now. Amen. You can be seated. Well, you'll notice there are three commands in this section that we're covering. Three commands. Verse 10, be strong in the Lord, the strength of his might. Secondly, note verse 11, put on, put on the full armor of God. And then in verse 13, which is in essence a repetition of 10 and 11. He's just repeating 10 and 11. He inserts a little phrase in there. We get the third command. Take up, you see, the full armor of God. Today, we're going to look at the first command. Be strong in the Lord. Next week, Michael's going to pick up this idea. Put on, take up the armor of God. I want to work backwards in our text, if I may. What, I, what do I mean by that? I mean, you know, Stephen Covey's phrase, begin with the end in mind. So I want to start with the end in mind. I want to go out here and say, well, what, you know, what's the end? This is a battle going on. What's our objective? What's our goal in the battle? Uh, from here, I then want to take one step back and we'll go, well, how does Paul say we get there? Okay, so I'm going to start with the end in mind. Three times in this section, Paul uses this phrase, stand firm. Now remember in Bible study, repetition tells us this is very important. You'll note there in uh, verse uh, 11, so that you will be able to stand firm. He says again in verse 13, so that you will be able, he ends it, stand firm. And then Michael will pick this up next week, but verse 14 begins, stand firm, therefore, uh, literally, it means, stand for me, it means to, to withstand. 
It's very nuanced here, but it's to withstand. It's to endure with courage. That's what the phrase means. This is so important. It seems that when Paul repeats this phrase, he's getting to the very core, you see, of our responsibility, our objective, if you will, in this spiritual battle. We don't fight to defeat the enemy. It's not our orders. Men and women, we we don't engage in this battle to take additional ground. This is not our orders. If I could describe it in this battle metaphor, it's like this. Uh, We... We are placed, you know, there's a battle going on. We're placed on a hilltop. We didn't win the hilltop. Uh, We didn't conquer it. It was done for us. But now we're placed on it, and the orders come. Hold the hill. There you have it. Hold the hill. Look again at verse 13. Uh, He he adds to this thought of... uh, Stand firm when he says these, this word so that you'll be able to, and he goes on to say stand firm, but he adds this, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything, stand firm. How does that help us? Well, it's so consistent with the apostolic revelation and teaching as it relates to Christians and this cosmic battle. First Peter 5, 8 to 9. What did Peter say about this? He said, be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him. They're saying what? Resist him firm, firm in your faith. How about James? James addresses this. And what does he say? Submit, therefore, to God. This is James 4, 7. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Our standing orders... Resist, stand firm, hold the hill. Let me tell you what resist does not mean. Resist does not mean attack. Resist does not mean charge. Kenneth Wiest writes, this word resist means to withstand, to be firm against someone else's onslaught. You see, the onslaught comes, we stand firm. Resisting the devil does not mean we bind him. Men and women, we don't rebuke him. I've done this. I, I don't do this anymore. It says, this is, we, don't, we have nowhere in our Bible that tells us bind Satan. You don't. Those words loose and bind are in the scripture, but they're, they're in a, a different context. That's not how we engage with these demons. To resist is to set oneself against. And this makes total sense when we go, all that we are in Christ is adamantly, infinitely opposed to all that the demons and the devil are about. And so we're against them. We withstand them. Take into account what Bill taught last week, that everything's rooted in deception when they come. All their attacks are rooted in deception. We get that, we put resist, stand together. I think we get a clearer picture of our orders. When the enemy attacks... If you are in Christ, he will. He is. He won't quit. You can't avoid it. 
when he attacks. Oppose the lie. How? By standing firm in God's truth with courage. That's it. See, when the onslaught hits, you don't, you don't go out fighting and swinging. Hmm. Well, when it comes, you stand. You stand in what God has revealed of himself in Christ and what he's done and all that's, all that's true of us because of what God has done and because we're in Christ. You see, that focus is not on the devil. Where does it go? It's on the word of God, on the person of Christ. I'm gonna tell you something. This isn't passivity. It's very focused. It's very intentional. It's a determined engagement. Because when, you, when we say, when I use this metaphor, when I'm saying hold the hill, what's the hill that we're holding? Our redemption. We didn't achieve that. God did. Hold it. Stand in it. Stand in what? Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. That's what's true of you. Stand on it. Rest in it courageously. I've got uh, an image I want to show you. This, again, just to help us get some sense of this battle in our responsibility. It's like the lighthouse that takes the blow of a massive wave and it doesn't move. This is, this is called spiritual battle with cosmic forces of evil in this darkness. And you and I know the, the, the lighthouse stands. Why? Because what it's on. <laughs> Rock solid on. That's why it stands. I got another picture. This one's so famous. I think the guys made millions off this. And motivation posters around the world. You know, the waves swelling around the lighthouse. The guy standing there at the door. I want you to know the guy, the guy at the door, he lives... But I'll tell you this, the only reason he lives is at the last moment, they got photographs of this, he steps into the door. Wonderful picture, isn't it, for you and I? Listen, you can stand out there. I assure you, if he didn't close the door and get in it, he's dead. And the same is true for us. If we don't step in, listen, if you're not in Christ, can I say this to you? Anyone in the room, if you sit here today and you've never put your faith in Christ's life, death, and resurrection for you, if you're, if you're there and some in this room are there today, I assure you, you face a certain future and it's death and it's separation from God. You can't withstand the wave unless... You're in the lighthouse unless you're in Christ Jesus. Let's take a step back from the text. I said let's begin with the end in mind. If, if that's the end, the end is a standing firm. Resisting is standing firm in Christ. Okay, if that's the end. Then let's step back here and go, well, well how, do we, how do we get there? How do we do that? Well, Michael's going to pick that up next week because it's certainly tied to putting on and taking on the armor of God. But even that, you see, is, is built upon the foundational principle of verse 10. Look again at verse 10. 
Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Lloyd, how do we stand firm? Well, you got to be strong. Well, do I, I, how do we get that in the strength of, it's an outside strength, in the strength of his might. Let's do a little grammar on this command. It's in the, it's an imperative, it's in the imperative mood. And when we say imperative, you say command. You know, that's, that's what an imperative is. It's a command. This is an apostolic command. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, not a suggestion. It's in the plural form. It's for the whole church. This isn't just for the pastors, uh, the missionaries, uh, those who are going to Peru next week. No, this is for everyone. If you're in Christ, if you know Christ, it's for you. Be strong in the strength of the Lord. It's in the passive voice. This means it's not something we do. It's something done to us. It's something God does to us, in us, and through us, you see. If we, if we were, had a Greek mindset and the text was clear to us in the Greek, it would be this. Paul says, finally, be made strong. You see, that's what he's saying. Be made strong. It's outside of us and done to us. And then fourth, it's in the present tense. What does that mean? It means it's an ongoing, continual reality. It, it, it's not one and done. No, it's be if I, if, again, if I said it in the Greek the way it's intended, it would be this. Be continually made strong in the Lord. Are you with me? Now, that command is grammatically, exactly, precisely the same as Paul's command in Ephesians 5.18. Be filled with the Spirit. Remember that. Same for, same for grammatical characteristics. Being filled with the Spirit, it's not something you do, it's something God does. But what did we say there? We're responsible to put ourselves in a position to be filled by God. Well, how do we do that? I, I, I talked about be mindful. You gotta be mindful. You know what? I need the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life through me. I, I can't do it. I'm mindful. Be dependent. I'm not just mindful of it. I'm depending on the Spirit of God in this moment. And what did I say next? Be obedient. You're mindful, you're dependent, and you're obedient. And in your obedience, you experience the power of God. The very same thing here. Be strong. Be continually made strong in the strength of the Lord. How? Be mindful. I don't have it. I'm not strong enough. I need the strength of the Lord. Be dependent. I'm depending upon you, Lord Jesus, and the strength of your power and might in me. Be obedient. You see, in your obedience, you experience the power of God. Listen, the strength of God is infinitely beyond and above the strength of any demon, the devil himself. You understand that? This is the, this is the power that spoke the universe into being that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You understand this infinite power that we have access to. Do, you, do we see that? And the key word there is we have access to it. Doesn't mean we're experiencing it. Listen, you don't experience it in disobedience. You don't experience it in denial. We have access to it when we're what? When we're mindful that we're weak and we need his strength and we're obedient and dependent upon his strength. This is going to sound so strange. You're going to have to let it sit on you for just a moment. And, and there's nuances here, so, so grant me some room. The only thing that can thwart the power of God 
is the Christian who depends on his own strength. Yikes. I'm actually powerful enough to short-circuit God's power. I could say it like this. Our strength is our greatest weakness. Now, if that's true, and it is, don't miss the corollary. Our weakness is our greatest strength. When we get that, listen, the words from Paul where he speaks of this in which demons and the devil and the world go, that's stupid, that's so foolish. Mm -mm. To you and I, they are words of wisdom and grace and hope. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, 10, therefore I am well content with weaknesses for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am what? You see that? It says it again, 2 Corinthians eleven thirty. If I have to boast, I will boast in what pertains to weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Paul says, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Oh, my. I began with a story from Frank Peretti out of this present darkness. Uh, Let me read another story to you, if I may. Uh, This is a very short story. It's a true story. Uh, There's no imagination. It's nonfiction, okay? It actually happened. Uh, I'm going to call this story mm, Our Present Power. I'll summarize a bit of it. It, it, it. it goes like this. It's found actually in 2 Kings 6. Verse 8 says, Now the king of Aram was warring against Israel. And he counseled with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. Verse 9, the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, saying, Be where you do not pass this place, for the Arameans are coming down there. Now, now what's happening here is the enemy of Israel, the king of Aram, he's out to get the king of Israel. So he gathers his generals together and says, Look, we're going to go down and we're going to get them here. Now, unbeknownst to him, Elijah is in Israel. And he goes to the king of Israel and says, let me tell you exactly what the king of Aram's going to do. Don't go there. It's kind of funny, actually, the story. And it says, on many occasions, <laughs> the king of Israel bypassed where he was. So the king of Aram finally, he goes, 
he calls all his generals to him. He goes, who's the traitor? Who is betraying the guy? I can't get him. Every time I go where I'm going, he's passed me by. And one of his counselors says, oh, king, we're no traitors here. But that man of God, Elijah, he knows what the king says in his bedroom. And what does that imply? It it implies, Elijah knows your most intimate thoughts. (laughs) So the king says, okay, we're gonna kill him. I want you to find out where he is and we're gonna go take care of this man of God. And they do find out. He's in Dothan, Dothan, Alabama. Just kidding, he's he's in in Dothan. And uh, so he takes his chariots, okay? He takes the war machine and he descends on this little village. There's no, ba- there's no warriors there. Just Elisha and his servant. So his servant gets up one morning. And he goes out. And he dips the water bucket. And we, you know, I'm just imagining this. But he turns to go back in. And what does he see? He sees the king of Aram and chariots and soldiers. I mean, they're, they're around the whole city. They're on them. So he runs into Elisha. And he says, and I read 2 Corinthians 6, 15. Now, when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Elijah. So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. What does that sound like? Greater is he who is in you, he who is in the world. Then Elisha prayed, and he said, Oh Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw. And behold, The mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. That is not made up. That's not a myth. That happened. That's true. Now, I find it interesting that Paul would come along 2,500 years later and he would pray three times for the Ephesians. And every time he prayed for them, how about this, Ephesians 1, 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward those who believe. Mm. We're in a cosmic battle, yes. Paul prays our eyes would be opened. Listen, we need to be aware of the battle. He prays our eyes would be opened to the power of God that's ours in Christ. 
This is my prayer for all of us and for me. And we always say, so what? Let's pause and let's ask ourselves this question. Wherever you are in life, what, what are you facing? Where God's word today invites you to stand firm. And what are you depending on? Pause just a moment. Reflect on it. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. What, God, what are you inviting me to trust you for and believe even in this moment? Write something down. Make a note of it in your mind's eye. Take a moment and do that. Let's stand together. I'll dismiss you with two uh, similar thoughts. The first would simply be this. It sounds rather silly, but isn't it good to keep in mind uh, lighthouses that move, kill people? Lighthouses that stand firm, save lives. Paul prayed, and I will pray his prayer over you. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Amen. God bless.